So we are picking up here in Acts chapter 18. We last week talked about Paul being in the city of Corinth and talking about how important that city was. And Paul stayed there. He ended up staying there for a year and a half and doing ministry there. And uh, now Paul kind of moves on. Acts is very active. He doesn't actually often go into a lot of detail in what happens in each experience. If it's a longer one, so it just says he was there for a year and a half and it just kind of gives us the chapter or so that we have about him being in Corinth. Uh, it's going to zero in here on Ephesus, which is another city that Paul's going to travel to. And it's going to give us a little bit more over a couple more years. I'd said that Corinth was the longest uh, place that Paul had stayed, and it was to this point the longest place that he has stayed. He's about to go to Ephesus, which he'll stay longer in. Um, and so we'll get a little bit, a couple chapters of stuff going on in Ephesus, which we'll touch on today. But there's, today we're going to kind of focus in on a character that I just think is, is underrated in Scripture. Okay, you're going to see this. You may miss him if you don't pay attention. He's, list, he's listed in, in Corinthians. He's here in Acts. He's in one other, one other uh, epistle. And basically this character is maybe got, maybe there's 25, 30 verses about him in the entire New Testament. And he's one of my favorite characters because of the way they describe him today and because of his reaction to a specific situation. You know, we asked you that question during question of the day, uh, somebody who gave you uh, some, you know, good advice or whatever, who told you something and it was like in a, in a constructive way or whatever. Um, I can remember like the first time having a conversation with somebody about like wearing deodorant, right? Like everybody was happy that somebody finally came out and said, hey, would you just help this kid wear deodorant? Right? Like as a camp counselor, that was one of my favorite things to do was to get all my kids in my cabin to start wearing deodorant during junior high week. Like, I was like, I know you guys aren't going to take showers. I know you're going to be sweating every single day. This is called deodorant, right? Like, having that conversation with them. And today, the, the character here that we're going to talk about, he comes into a situation where he could be defensive, he could be annoyed or upset that somebody was disrespecting him, right? But in, in reality, he steps back and takes a humble position, and God increases his effectiveness in ministry, like, tenfold. It's, like, actually amazing to watch a leader do what they're supposed to do. I think today we're going to see that this is actually something I think that is really hard in the church, and we don't necessarily see a lot of leaders do this correctly. And so uh, let me introduce you here to a man named Apollos. So let's see it. Uh, Acts 18, if you're in the Bible that's on the chairs there, page 954. Did I get that right? Uh, if you are in the app, it's written out in the app for you, and there's some fill-ins on the app too if you want to take some notes. Uh, but I'm going to start with... Um, this verse, verse 18. So I'm going to read here verse 18, starting with verse 18. So Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos is the name of the section here. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Remember we talked about he was there for about a year and a half. Priscilla and Aquila, who are the, he's going to mention here in just a second, are his friends who are also tent makers or leather workers who were the first people that he connected with when he got to Corinth. Um, and it says, there he met a Jew named Aquila. Oh, sorry, 18. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So he's taking them as traveling companions. They're kind of a trio now, working for the gospel wherever they go. They're like going to go and start ministries and serve people, and this is going to be awesome. It says, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off uh, because of a vow that he had taken. And we don't know exactly what's going on with this vow, but this looks like what is called a Nazarene vow. Um, and... Uh, basically, the, in the Old Testament, people would take off 
their hair and grow it out, and it would like be for a time, and they would have a spiritual focus for a time, and it would be kind of an outward uh, way of showing something that was going on inward. And so he would be focused spiritually on something, and people would notice because he had cut his hair off. And then they would grow their hair out, right? So at that point, you'd start to see how long it had been since they took one of these, one of these vows. And so Paul seems to take this vow because this ministry to him is very important. Um, and this is a vow that he had taken. It also means that he would have to go to the temple in Jerusalem and give a special offering that would go along with this vow that he had taken, which you're going to see in a minute he's going to do. So it says, They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, where they asked him to spend more time with them. He declined. He knew that he was going to Jerusalem, although this is the first time he goes into uh, a synagogue and they ask him to stay. So this is kind of cool. Like he's starting to get traction with how to speak to the Jews about Jesus and how to reason with them and how to argue with them. There's a little bit of argument in how he does it, but he's now starting to get traction. But he doesn't stay. It says, but he... But as he left, he promised, I will make my way, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. So he leaves uh, Priscilla and Aquila, I believe, in Ephesus. He goes to Jerusalem. He spends time with uh, the church in Antioch, and he probably gives the offering that went along with his vow. He sees the church. He spends time with the leaders there. And now he's back, reporting on what happened in all of that second missionary journey that he did. And now he's about to go out a third time. That's what he does. He comes back, he tells them how it went, he gives them a report, and then he shoots back out and goes to another place. So it says, After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place through the region of Galatia and Pergia, uh, strengthening the disciples. And these are the places that he's already been to, the places where he was almost stoned, the places where he was kicked out of, out of town, places where he started churches in all these little towns. And later on, he's going to write a letter that goes to that area, the letter to the Galatians. It's going to go be circulated through that area. Like he has spent time in these places. He's going back to them. He's finding the disciples that he, he started, the churches that he started, the disciples that are left, and he's strengthening them. Now, Paul is a church planter, but also maybe not just a church planter. He's spending time and strengthening and doing anything he can to build the kingdom of God. And I, I want to step back and say that there are different kinds of pastors and leaders and teachers and people in the kingdom. Um, there are some that are more apostolic in their ministry. They, they like to go out and start things. They're brand new things, works of God that they start. There are people who are more teachers. They like really want to get into the nitty-gritty. I want to teach things to people. There are more pastoral there's different giftings that come along with these leaders, and Paul gets a bad rap for just being a church planter. He also is strengthening each one of these churches. His letters are going back to correct theology and strengthen the disciples and make sure the church is healthy. And so this, that's what he does on his way back to um, Ephesus. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollo, so here's the guy I was talking about before, um, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and had thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he, not, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
So Paul's not the only one who's out there starting churches and doing ministry. Right? Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila are now in Ephesus. Right? They're working with the church there. There's other churches that we find out that have been started by other people. Apollos is one of those people. But if you go all the way back to the beginning of Acts, right? Acts chapter 2, when the, um, the Holy Spirit comes and lands on the original disciples, and they go out and they share the gospel to people in their own native tongue, it says that at that time, the city was full of people from all over the world, and all those people heard the gospel in their own native tongue. So there are Syrians there, and there are Romans there, and there are you know, people from Corinth, and people from Ephesus, and people from the region of Galatia. Like There, there are people from all over the place, and they are hearing the gospel for the first time in their own native tongue by the people who receive the Holy Spirit. And then it says the festival ends, and those people start to disperse and go back to their homes. And when they leave, they take the gospel with them. And they go, and so there are all these little kind of fires lit in all these places by people who are at the original moment when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they were given the gospel in their own language. Now what's happening is some of the people who have really put all the pieces together, like Paul, right, and like Priscilla and Aquila, and in a second here like Apollos, are going in and they're sharing this message again and people are going, I know this message. I heard this before. This is accurate. This is right. This is true. And then a church begins and disciples begin, right? So there's been like a seed planted in all these places. Now Paul is going around. But Apollos is like this up-and-coming, incredible, he was, he was known as an, a really amazing orator, like someone who could command the attention of people. It says he was passionate. It says he knew the scriptures. He was very like smart and well-taught. Alexandria would have been like the southern part of the Mediterranean in Egypt. And there's a really big Jewish population in Alexandria, and there would have been a church there that would have brought him up in the scriptures. He would have known all the same things that the Jews knew in Jerusalem. They would have lived in that. But he didn't have a complete understanding or picture of the gospel yet. They're in this in-between time where they haven't quite gotten to, like they're, they, they know the Messiah is coming. They're preparing themselves the way that John said to go and prepare yourselves. But they haven't put all the pieces together and know exactly that Jesus was the Messiah, right? They know, maybe even know a little bit about Jesus, but they haven't put all the pieces together. And Priscilla and Aquila are like, man, this guy's passionate. He is smart. He knows the scriptures. People listen to him. This guy's going to do amazing things for the kingdom, but we better make sure he's actually preaching the gospel of Jesus. Like, he's got like 90% of the way. He's telling people to prepare your heart. He's telling people to repent. He's telling people to get ready for a Messiah, but he can't quite put the pieces together and tell you Jesus is the Messiah because he's in Alexandria and he doesn't really know exactly what happened with Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila grab hold of him and they say, hey, come, come with us. Like, let's take you uh, out for lunch after church and let's have a conversation with you. I, and I need to explain to you, starting with the scriptures, how Jesus fulfills what the message that you're preaching. Like, there was a chance for Apollos to be defensive and to say, Hey man, like thanks for your help here, but like I don't know if you were paying attention. Like I kind of rocked it today. Like I know if uh, if I crushed a sermon out of the park or not based on how many people make eye contact with me after the service. No, just me. Uh, or somebody comes up and they go, "Great, great, great sermon, Pastor." I'll hear that one four or five times. I'm like, okay, that was a pretty good one. You know, uh, I think Apollos probably crushed it out of the park. People were sitting there just taking in everything he had to say. Like he was a young guy with a lot of talent, right, who probably had the chance to think, like, I'm the man. 
And I've seen a lot of pastors, a lot of people, a lot of friends who are so talented, right, but cannot receive feedback from people or cannot receive a difficult word from someone. I want you to know, like, I may not be good at a lot of things, but I'm always going to listen to what you have to say. Because this right here is exactly how it should look. An older disciple, a wiser, more experienced disciple who had a fuller understanding of the gospel, sits a young, up-and-coming, talented, passionate, knowledgeable young person who's on their way up in the church, uh, pulls them aside, pulls them aside privately, has a conversation with them and says, like, let me help you put all these pieces together because you're not quite there. Like, I can see it coming together, but you're not quite there. And he responds with what? Humility. Like, God has called us as disciples to have humility. I think you are in, it's a major, major, major red flag if you get to a place in your theology where you have figured everything out. Right? You should, as a disciple, continue to learn and grow, no matter if you're barely a disciple. It's easy for you to decide to continue to learn and grow if you're in that situation. Or if you're someone who's leading the church, it doesn't matter who you are, you should continue to learn and grow and not know every single, every single thing. It's an act of immaturity when you have gotten to a point where you know all of it. You know everything. You figured it all out, and you've got it settled, and now it's settled. This theology, I mean, this is not ever settled, and we don't have a perfect understanding of this. I've been reading this really pretty much since I was 13 years old and studying it and praying through it and teaching it and wanting God to continue to show me more and more, and I am not even close to being at the end of understanding this completely. There are weeks where I go, man, I've got to preach this passage, and this is going to be a tough one, because I don't know what the heck this is about. Right? And I sit down, and I work through it, and I try to figure it out, and I try to explain it to you, and hopefully you learn something from it, and then hopefully that is something that helps you grow, and it helps me grow. But we have not gotten to the end of this thing. And Apollos sits down and listens to somebody who's older than him. And can I just give you a piece of advice for those of you who are younger? And I mean younger as in like maybe millennial and down, right? I know you're like just about 40 if you're millennials. You know, you're in your 30s probably. But millennials and down. Can I just say, if you get around somebody with more experience and more wisdom than you, don't hold that back. Be a sponge, man. Soak that up. If there's an older person, a wiser person, somebody with more experience, willing to share something with you, teach you something, train you in some way, show you something, man, do whatever it takes to get near them and to soak it up. And I think we're often waiting for like, we need a program, you know, I need this church to give me a mentor, I need a, I need a discipleship program where we get together on Saturday mornings and we do something, I need... Listen, sometimes it's as simple as you... Right, spending time with somebody who you have respect for and want to soak something up from. I have multiple people in my lives that that uh, that disciple me without them knowing it. Like, there's a pastor who I have like what I what I deem I always call. Uh, we always talk about this in uh, our our staff meeting. I'll be like, hey, I have this pastor crush on this other pastor. I just think the way that he's a pastor is amazing. I want to be just like him. Right, this guy's not older than me. He's pretty much the same age. He's been in ministry about the same amount of time. But I look at him and I go, I just want to be like this guy. 
Like there's something about him that I look at him and I go, I want to be more like, the, like him. So you know what I do? I go and get lunch with him about once a month. We sit down and we have lunch. And I just say, hey, can I buy you lunch? And he loves it. He's like, yes, free food. By the way, that's the best way to get somebody to spend time with you. Just give them free food. They will spend time with you. It's amazing. And I just sit there and we connect and I just ask him questions. I come with a couple questions in mind. And we have a great conversation, and he's discipling me without him even knowing it. Because I just want to get around this guy, and I want to spend time with him, and I want to soak it up, right? But I think as Christians, sometimes we feel like, you know, maybe we know more than other people, or we look down on, the, or, or we're protecting, trying to put this image up that we know stuff. We should take away all of that and spend time with the kind of people that we want to become, right? And do whatever it takes And I think what happens is there's something in us that doesn't want to say that I don't know everything. There's something in us that doesn't want to receive feedback, that wants to get defensive about receiving feedback from people. There's a pride in us that doesn't want to let us. And I will also say, as someone who has to deliver feedback sometimes to millennials and younger, I will say this is specifically a problem, is that I think there's a lot of people who are completely clueless as to where they really, really are. They think above themselves, about themselves in a way that isn't really reality. When you sit down to have a conversation with them about where they're at on something or what's going on in their lives, they are defensive because they don't even believe what's true about themselves. They think they're even better than they are or even worse than they are in some situations. I've been in such conversations with people where they're unaware of themselves so much that they beat themselves up and never give themselves credit for something that they do. Or the opposite end, they're so puffed up they think that everything they do is the most amazing thing and that they've never done anything wrong or have a problem. And there's definitely, all of us are somewhere in the middle. And the thing that's lacking in almost every one of those situations, well, it's probably two things. One is humility. We just don't have any humility to understand that we're growing and we're not perfect. It's one of the reasons why we keep saying we're an imperfect church for imperfect people because like, we need to remind ourselves that we're all messed up and we all can grow. But also, it's selfishness. A lot of people who just want what they want, and they don't want to have you mess around with that, and they don't want to see it, they don't want to know that it's sin, they don't want to deal with it, they just want to turn around and walk away from it. Apollos, what I'm so impressed by, and what I love so much about Apollos, is that Priscilla and Aquila come into his life, and he probably sees something in them that he wants to emulate, and when they say, hey, will you come and sit down with us so we can explain the gospel more fully to you so you can actually knock it out of the park for Jesus, he is like, tell me everything I need to know. He's got all the humility that he needs. Like to me, that is what we're looking for. There's later on, it's really funny, the church of Corinth starts to have these little factions of uh, believers because, you know, uh, Apollos goes into Corinth and preaches. Paul goes into Corinth and preaches. Cephas, Peter, goes into uh, uh, Corinth and preaches. And there begins to be these little sects of people who are like, we're Apollos people, we're Paul people, we're Cephas people. And as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he actually says to them, you guys are stupid, right? Like, God's in charge of all this stuff. And when Apollos comes in and encourages you, take the encouragement. And when I come in and preach to you, you know, out of my experience, listen to what I have to say. When Cephas comes, that guy was with Jesus. Spend time with him. Listen to what he has to say. Don't throw any of us out. God is doing amazing works. And he's using one of us to do one thing and one of us to do another and one of us to do another thing. But we're all on the same team here, right? Apollos, his lack of pride and his ability to do to have enough empathy serves the church in an incredible way and Paul and Apollo stay connected stay friends 
throughout their stay connected in ministry, throughout Paul's entire journey, even at the end of his time, he speaks very highly of Apollos as somebody who has tons of respect for. I mean, and then the last thing I'll say about this is that, and this is something we really believe in here, is that the church needs to be handing ministry off to younger people. Right? Like, we need to be finding people in our church who can do ministry no matter what their age is. You will see us as soon as we can getting teenagers involved. You will see us as soon as we can asking people to lead things, small groups, lead things, teach stuff, be involved, do teach our kids, whatever it takes to continue to hand off the ministry to younger and younger. And if you're an older person in our church, thank you, by the way, for being here. Sometimes you might look around and think, like, there's not enough of me. And then you might realize, like, we really need these Priscilla's and Aquila's here. We do. I'm not looking at anyone right now on purpose. <laughs> Just going to look up. We need Apollos's who are humble enough to listen to the experience and wisdom that older people bring into this church. And we need Priscilla's and Aquila's who are bold enough to sit down with somebody younger than them and say, let me, let me teach you the fullness of what you're missing here. Like you got 90% of it and you got tons of passion and you got tons of skill and I want to see God do amazing things in your life. Let me just help you tweak this a little bit. Let me just help you get all the way in the right place when it comes to believing this or when it comes to how you handle that. And if we were open to receiving that kind of feedback, imagine what that would do for the church. And again, I don't think we need another program. We need to be people who are seeking out these kind of relationships in our lives and looking for people who would be willing to pour into us and, and share that wisdom with us. All right, yes, I have a crush on Apollos, okay. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, this is uh, verse 24. A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, and he had thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. The picture there is almost like a pot boiling over. Like he just had so much passion that it was infectious. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he taught about getting ready for the Messiah and, and making the path straight and re- repenting of your sin and being, um, you know, a, uh, not being a hypocrite. But he just didn't close the door and finish it by talking about Jesus because he missed that part being in Alexandria and not being in the center of all the action in Jerusalem. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. They explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's the area where Corinth is, by the way, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So it's probably Priscilla and Aquila writing him a note saying, hey, Apollos is the man. Receive him and let him talk. Let him open his mouth and share and encourage all the the people in the church there. And when they arrived, he, had, uh, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. By the way, one of the theories out there about who was the actual author of the book of Hebrews, uh, a lot of people will say it was not Paul. The type of Greek that's used and, and a couple of other things kind of point to the idea that maybe it wasn't Paul. Um, and we don't know. We don't know who the author was. I wouldn't. I mean, we could have a great debate about it, and I would really enjoy that. But it could be three or four different people. Um, you know, one of the ideas is that the authorship was uh, a woman, and so they didn't put a name on it because that would have, in some way, hurt the document being accepted by the church. Uh, another theory is that Apollos was the one who wrote it. It's written to the Jews, and it's he, 
vigorously defends Jesus as the Messiah, exactly what it says here. It says, For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. I think it's a pretty good idea that Apollos was involved with the book of Hebrews. Um, I love that idea. We don't really know. And a lot of times when I preach it, I will say it could have been Paul or it could have been someone else. We don't 100% know. But it could have been Apollos. Uh, Verse uh, 1 in chapter 19. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, What Then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And so Paul's making his way back to that area. He's going to spend time in Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila. And on his way, he comes in contact with 12 disciples. The Bible calls them disciples. It doesn't say they weren't believers. It says they were believers. They were disciples. They were trying to learn and grow in their relationship with God, that they were ready for a Messiah, that they had paved the way, that they had repented in their heart of sin, that they were ready for a Messiah to come, but they hadn't connected the dots. You almost wonder if these people were people who originally heard the message from Apollos before he was righted by Priscilla and Aquila. It doesn't say all the believers in Corinth. There were tons of people at this point who were uh, in Ephesus who were believers. The church had grown and had a lot of people. So it's just these 12, this pocket of people, right? And they had heard just some other gospel that wasn't quite all the way. Same problem that they had when they were trying to help Apollos land. I imagine this is connected. I imagine this is the same gospel Apollos heard, or they're connected to Apollos in some way. And so Paul comes through and he corrects their theology and gets them to the finish line. There's a couple things going on here that I think are interesting. I heard one pastor talk about, uh, he made a reference to um, Columbo. <laughs> so those of you who are young, you're like, we, is that yogurt? What, uh, what's Columbo? Where, you know, he's like, there's something wrong here. I met these disciples and they're, they're missing some Holy Spirit. Like they're believers in Jesus, but there's no Holy Spirit here. Something's missing, right? And he comes in and maybe asks that sideways question, like, what? what? Uh, seems like something's missing. What baptism is it that you guys... Like, he doesn't ask that question very often, but he notices in their lives. Like, I want to stop and ask you this question. As a believer in Jesus, is it apparent that the Holy Spirit is active in your life? Because it was apparent that these 12 guys did not have the Holy Spirit active in theirs. They were good people, religious people, disciples interested in the Word of God, maybe connected even to a church in some way, going to church, potentially, maybe even studying Scripture in some way, but hadn't yet received Christ as their Messiah and hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. Like, on the way, but not quite there. There's a lot of people, I'm going to be careful how I tread here, I think who get stuck in the religious system and miss Jesus totally. And it's apparent. And that question needs to be asked. Like, hey, have you accepted Jesus as your Messiah? Like, do you know what the Holy Spirit is? Do you have the Holy Spirit active in your life? 
And, and let me just answer the question for you. If you don't know the answer to that question, if you say, I don't know if the Holy Spirit is active in my life, I'm not sure you know Jesus. You shouldn't step back and say, I'm not sure if I have the Holy Spirit. You've either been struck by lightning or not. Right? Knowing that you have the Holy Spirit in your life is either a yes or it's a no. Right? There's either this commune, this commune, this connection that you have with God where He leads you around with His Holy Spirit and calls you to be who you are and refines you and works in your life and shows himself to you. Like, there's either that situation happening or there isn't. Right? And in this connection, this moment where Paul meets these people, it's clear to him that these are good people, church people, religious people. Like, great. There's probably tons of these kinds of people in Minnesota, but they don't know Jesus and they haven't received the Holy Spirit fully. That it's a no for them. And then what is the response there, man? He says, hey, have you guys heard about Jesus? Do you know about the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no. I mean, Jesus himself said, I have to go so the Holy Spirit can come. It'll be better for you to have the Holy Spirit in your life than it would be to have me physically in your life. That's Jesus' words to his disciples. I gotta go. So you receive the Holy Spirit, right? And when he explains that to them, their response is not, no, I'm a believer. You can't tell me that I, you don't know me. Their response is a lot like Apollo's, where they're like, hey, show me the way that I don't have right in my life. Show me where things are twisted or messed up or where things are not right. Explain the whole thing to me. Help me get there. Now, they're in this in-between time, right, where people haven't quite heard all the news. They haven't put all the pieces together. And so it makes sense that there are people in this situation, but I still think there are people who are in this situation today who are just in the religious system. I grew up in this. I go to this thing. I put in the time. I show up at the thing. I, you know, whatever. I go to the, the study or the small group, and I, this is what I do. And they don't have a relationship with Jesus, and they don't have the Holy Spirit in their lives. And then they're defensive when you ask them about that. Like, our, our response should be, no, show me. Right? Teach me more fully what it means to know Christ. It's humility. So I'm going to land just with a couple thoughts here. They're at the bottom of your... Uh, notes on the app if you want to follow along. I think, first of all, God wants humble leaders. It's so, so, so important to us as a church to always be living in humility as leaders. And I'll just put myself out there and say that's like a high, high, high priority for us and for staff as we hire and for leaders in this church. When we decided to bring on DLT members that are of our highest level of leadership, in the church, we looked for people who were first servants. The, like, the baseline requirement for somebody to be on DLT is that they have already served in setup, in children's ministry, in, you know, on the tech team, on the worship team. Like They've already put the time in, and I can see that there's a servant's heart, a humble servant's heart in their lives before they become someone who goes to that level. I'm looking for people who don't start arguments, I'm looking for people who spend time listening to people and help disciple them in the midst of arguments. Right? So we're looking for humility when we talk about leaders, and that's what Apollos puts on display here, 
is a humble spirit willing to receive the right kind of correction that he needs to receive. And he, the teachability that Apollo shows is something that we look for. If you don't have a teachable spirit, you're not ready to be a leader at this church. Teachable, humble, that's what we're looking for. Now, not perfection, by the way. I think you guys know me well enough to know. Not perfection. Second idea is leaders seek growth. Leaders do not land and plateau and stay where they are and have had the same walk with Jesus since college and have a, a time in their life where they were closer to Jesus. They're always as close to Jesus as they've ever been because they're always growing in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Leaders don't stop. We don't arrive. We never land and go, well, we got that all figured out. Right? I'm trying to learn all the time, and I'm calling leaders in this church to always be learning all the time, always be seeking growth all the time, always be looking for areas of their lives that they can continue to work on and allow Jesus to change. We never, ever stop learning and growing and seeking God. It's almost like the church should be called Pursue Community Church, that we're always in pursuit of Jesus and the people he loves, that we actually mean that. The third idea, we should seek to share our experiences and wisdom. So those of you who are in whatever season of life that you're in, let's say you're, you're older, you've got something to share, you should be trying to find a way to share that. Those of you who are younger, there's still teenagers you could share it with. By the way, it's not just age. Sometimes people are wiser and they're more developed even at a younger age than you are at an older age because they've been more serious about their faith. You can still learn things from people who are younger than you, right? So we're always trying to share the experiences and the wisdom we have to make the church better, to reach more people, to make the kingdom of God grow more. And that's what a Priscilla and Aquila were doing. They were saying, hey, we've been at this for a while. We've been in some tense moments. We've been following Paul. He's crazy. We've learned how to be crazy. We can do anything. We'll, we'll show up and we'll show you. We can sit down and explain the gospel to you more fully. Like, we're here for this. We see Apollos. You've got talent. You've got passion. You've got skills. Let's just figure this last little part out and let's release you and let you go. And the last one, we need to be careful to teach the entire gospel, not a version of it where people get stuck and they miss the idea that Jesus is the main event. We cannot preach a gospel that doesn't say Jesus died for your sins and you need forgiveness. The the culture around us would love for us to just say, God loves you, you know, be a good person. Like that's, that's the religious, cultural, that's what's accepted now in culture. Like, hey, just be good. Just be nice to people and be a good person and Jesus loves you and that's great. It's much more than that. It's understanding that you needed Jesus to go to that cross to forgive your sin. That there's something inside of you that's broken and selfish and will continue to sin and serve yourself. Right? That your actions do not add up to, to save you. That it's not a scale where you do more and more and more and then finally God says, okay, we'll let you in. You aren't comparing yourself to anyone else. You're comparing yourself to Jesus. And it's when you give up and receive the free gift of grace that God gives you, that's when you start to fully live. That's what it looks like to fully, fully live. That's the, that's the whole gospel. If you don't receive that, that's step one. You haven't made it yet. That's not what, you have not arrived in anything until you've received that grace. And we can't teach a part of that or half of that or a watered-down version of that. 
We have to teach the entire gospel because all it does is confuse people and leave them in a weird spot. That's what happened here with these disciples and with Apollos. The full picture hadn't gotten through to them yet. And I just want to stop and say, if I were writing a letter a, you know, to this church, or trying to encourage this church, like I'm already so encouraged by the things that happen here. Like I'm encouraged by the spirit that we have when we all get together to serve our community. I'm encouraged by what's going on in our small groups where we're developing each other and being part of each other's lives and living into that call to be community, real community to each other. I'm encouraged with the fact that we've got like 50 kids sometimes. I know there's like one family that has like 10 kids, but we've got like 40 kids plus two families, okay? But seriously, God's doing something among our children and on Wednesday nights with our kids. Like, I'm encouraged by a lot of the things that are going on in this church. I see a humble spirit. I, I feel like this is preaching to the choir, but it's also something that if we don't keep in the middle of like our face, like right here, right in front of us all the time, it's so simple to get off track and to start to see those things break apart and to start to see there'd be division in the church, right? It's beautiful that we can come together and we can serve our community if we don't continue to remind ourselves that we need to have humility and teach the whole gospel and, and to lean into this, then we will lose it. So that's, that's my encouragement to you today is to continue on in what God is already doing in this place and to have humility, to look for people who you can learn from, to be a sponge around those people, to share what you have the way that Priscilla and Aquila did, to have humility when someone tries to correct and help you. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. All right, let me close this in prayer. Jesus, would you continue to give us this spirit of growth, of pursuit? Would you continue to challenge us, God, where the places where we need to grow, the places where we need to change, the places where we need to be open to your uh, movement in our lives, and would you bring people into our lives that can help us get there? God, that there would be people in this place that we could lean into in seasons of our lives where we need to move and grow and be more like them. Also, would you, God, would you just show the people in our church who have that experience, who have those, um, those moments with you already, who have something to teach and to share, God, would you help them to see themselves as modern-day Priscilla's and Aquila's? And God, would you just continue to use this church and to grow us and to build your kingdom through us? Help us to see that we are not any better than any other thing that you're doing, God but we are just being obedient to your spirit and listening to you. And would you continue to use us, even in spite of ourselves, our own defensiveness, our own sin, our own hang-ups, God, would you just continue to push through in relationship with us and continue to reach us in those times. In Jesus' name, amen.